and I'm the other one. And Ed's going to put, or whoever's back there is going to, do they know about? Okay. You can start the first slide, and this will match. There we go. That's Confessions of a Crackpot. <laughs> so there's two of us here today, this one here and me. And I want to share a verse out of Psalm 66, verse 16, before I get started. And I'm reading out of the century English version here, but I love this particular wording. Psalm 66, verse 16. It says, all who worship God, come here and listen. I will tell you everything God has done for me. I'm going to have to make one change in this because I can't tell you everything. Because if I told you everything, we'd be here till tonight. So I'm going to tell you a lot of what God has done for me. And start out with a poem I wrote a number of years ago. Kind of ties in with my theme. It says, I'm a little crackpot here today with you. I'm here to show you just what God can do. With broken, shattered pieces and messes we have made. How he can mend and heal and with joy our sorrows trade. He'll pick up broken pieces and by his loving grace put them back together, your sorrows to erase. So if you're feeling cracked and broken here today, our precious precious loving Savior is here to make things okay. He loves you and he's longing to make you whole once more. Then you too can be a crack pot on others his love to pour. I want to ask you all a question just to, in your own mind not to answer out loud, but can you remember a time when you were really impacted by someone's love for you? Not just, well, I've got people that say they love me and that, but I mean really impacted where it did something to you. I've heard say that if you've ever been in a head-on collision in a car or some other vehicle, you're never the same. I have a friend in a Bible study I go to, she was in a head-on collision and still suffers from things as a result. And I'm here today to tell you about the time I was in a head-on collision with the love of Jesus Christ. And when I collided with Jesus, I know this, that some of you may wonder, gee, I wonder if I've ever encountered or had a head-on collision with the love of Jesus. Well, here's how you know you have. You are never the same again. You don't just bump into him and go, excuse me, and then go on. You are never the same. And if you think you've encountered him and you still are the same, then you might want to reevaluate who it was you think you bumped into. The purpose of sharing today is not so much to focus on my past, but what Jesus did with it. I will be sharing some of my life, my past, and things that happened to me, but my main focus will be on what Jesus did through it. One thing that some of you may or may not know is about three weeks ago I was baptized. And some of you going, what? (laughs) She was just baptized? Well, when I'm finished with my story, you'll understand. And this was not a re-baptism either. So I think this is really important to share in this message because I believe that there are a lot of people in the church today, the church as a whole, that are in the same place that I was for most of my life. And are lulled by some false sense of security. They think they're okay with God, and they're not. My background, a little bit of background on me. I grew up the oldest of five children in a very troubled, dysfunctional home. 
there was a lot of turmoil in my home. There was, there was physical abuse between parents. They were fighting, yelling. They get, they got divorced when I was three years old. Remarried each other when I was four and a half. Separated again. We get back together, file for divorce, then pull out. And it was just that way all growing up. And one of the things that was difficult for me in that equation was there was a person in my life that was always elusive, that I always wanted to know, that I always wanted to have them love me, and that was my father. If he wasn't separated and not living in our home, when he was in our home, he was not able to relate to his daughters. For whatever reason, I don't know. So I always wanted this relationship with this man, and I tried everything to gain his approval. Excelled in school, did everything that was expected of me at home, thinking maybe he'll notice me, maybe he'll pay attention, but he didn't. And I just want to kind of step over to the side and just say a word to all the dads here today that have girls. You are the most important person in their life. And I can't say that enough. You are the number one important person in their life. They need to hear from you. I love you. They need to hear from you. You're pretty. And they need you to hug them. I was 19 years old before I ever heard my dad say I love you. And I don't usually hear it. I'll call him and say, hi, I love you. He goes, thanks for the call, goodbye. You know, still can't say it. But dads, if you don't say it to your daughters, if you don't tell them they're pretty, and if you don't hug them, they're going to find someone else who will. Guaranteed. So that was my little sidestep on that. But that's important. Because this really impacted me as a young girl growing up. It left a hole and a void in me that I tried to fill later. I also experienced physical abuse by my mom. She was frustrated and upset by her marriage issues and she'd take it out on me and pound out on me. Just me, not the other kids. It was really strange. Um, before I was 10 years old, I was molested by a family friend. I never told anybody about this. Then we moved from the West Coast out to California, started going to another church. And as a teenager, I was molested by a church staff member. Now, it's one thing to have that thing happen to you, but to have it happen in, by someone in a church in a position of authority was really difficult. And this little piece inside of me just started getting pulled apart, you know, unraveling, coming, you know, just totally coming apart. I grew up in a church that I would call a very legalistic church. For those of you that aren't familiar with what that means, it's basically very much focused on rules and what you need to do what you don't do. It's kind of like the Pharisees, you know, they're all focused on the law. Do this, do this, you know. If your hair is this length, if your, if your skirt's long enough, if you don't go to this place, if you do this, if you go soul winning every week, if you work on a bus route, then they told me you were a good Christian. Okay, so I was a performance-driven person growing up. And two reasons, trying to earn my dad, partly my dad's love, but mostly God's love. A lot of us in the church have this daisy pedal mentality. You know, you get one of those little daisies. He loves me. He loves me not. If you get to the end and it says he loves me not, you pick up another one and try again. <laughs> it's got to end on he loves me, all right? So, you know, I was kind of that way with God, you know, but most of mine was he loves me not. He loves me not. He loves me not. He loves me not. Didn't matter what happened in my life. I couldn't imagine that he loved me because I viewed him the same way I viewed my father. Uninterested, disengaged, distant, disapproving, always trying to meet his expectations. It was never enough. So I saw him the same way. 
And this church I grew up in was real emphasis on, as I was sharing, the, the works, the rules, and religion. Nothing was ever said about relationship. And I learned that rules without a relationship equal rebellion. Rules without relationship. You can tell someone, you got to keep this list. Here's your list. Keep it. And they'll try and try and they'll fail most of the time. If you can encounter and come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't need to give someone a list of rules. When they really encounter, when you really encounter Jesus, you'll just want to do what he wants you to do. No one has to say, come on, do it. And you're like, okay, okay, I'll do it if you make me. You'll want to do it. Our goal is to see how many people we could get to pray this prayer, this sinner's prayer we call it. You know, Tell Jesus you're sorry for your sins, ask him to come into your heart. So we'd go out Saturday nights by the car load and hit parks and talk to people and come back. Our car brought 10, we got 12 to say the prayer. We were collecting people that said the prayer. I don't know if any of those people knew what they were saying. And then we'd see how many can we get baptized. Our church would baptize between 80 and 100 people every week. And some of those people were getting baptized every week. We had a little girl on a bus route. Same girl got baptized every week for like three months. Maybe for her it was a bath, a free bath. I don't know. But there was no meaning behind that. When I was 15 years old, I said that prayer. Formula prayer thing you're supposed to say because you know you don't want to go to hell. So you want to make sure you get your fire insurance. So you say the prayer and then you put that little policy up on a shelf somewhere and you go, good, it's done. I did the thing the church told me to do. I'm good. Like there's nothing else that goes with it. And I remember wanting to say that prayer because at that time my pastor was like a father figure to me. And I thought, oh, how cool. I want him to be the one that prays that prayer with me. And I want him to be the one that baptizes me. Totally wrong reasons for doing this. So I figured I had that little thing checked off my list and, and I went on my way. Next slide, please. I like this. This reminds me of how I see us before Christ. It's caterpillar. It's kind of not real pretty-like and crawling around. And a caterpillar, before he turns into something that we know is beautiful, has to go through this process, and he's in a cocoon. And I think of that as the time when Jesus gets a hold of us. And when this caterpillar comes out of the cocoon, he doesn't look like this anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, some things are new. All things are become new. And what happens a lot of times, you get these people in the church, and they're like, I don't want to be a caterpillar anymore, so I'm just going to get my little wings over here, and I'm going to put them on every Sunday, and I'll come, and I'm a butterfly. I'm a Christian. And then Sunday's over, and they put them down. And they go out and live like that all week. And then it's next time to go to church and they pick up their wings and go, I'm a Christian. And they may fool everybody in their church for years. But God knows. You're still a caterpillar. And unfortunately, the world knows too. I heard Brennan Manning, an author, say that he feels the greatest cause for atheism today are Christians that say one thing with their mouth then walk out the door and deny everything they just said with their lifestyle. Do we really know God or do we just think we do? When you encounter Jesus, you are, next slide, you are a brand new creation. There is nothing 
resembling what you were before. There should not be. Several years ago, we had a remodel done on our house. We still have some of our original house. We had a remodel and an addition done. But God doesn't just remodel us. He completely remakes us brand new. And I had grown up in the church lulled by a false security, sense of security that because I had said that prayer, I was okay. And I believe there's a lot of people in the church that are in the same position I was. They think they've said some prayer and they're good to go and they can go out and live like a caterpillar the rest of the week. I started reading the Bible for myself, not just listening to what the church had told me. And this was later I started doing this. And I want you to go to Matthew 7. You're going to find a description of me for more than 40 years of my life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I had my entire doctrine and theology turned upside down when I started reading God's word for myself and then believing it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And I'm going to stick a few more in here. Taught Sunday school in your name? Worked on a bus route? Been a pastor? Been a pastor's wife? And you could fill in. And done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I found out that the word know there, knew, means an intimate personal relationship. Not just know about. There's people I know about I've never met. And I thought, wow, had I died before this encounter with God, I would have been one of those people going, but Lord, Lord, didn't I? And list my list of ministry. And he'd go, I never knew you. First John 1, 6. These are just a few of the verses that upended my theology. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. Well, that's pretty blunt. (laughs) Not we mess up. No, we lie and we do not the truth. We do not practice the truth. Chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. Not because we go to church and say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, is a what? Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. The end of verse 5 and verse 6. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he, that's Jesus, walked. I learned that you can be in ministry on any level. And still be lost. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you a car. It doesn't. Do you read what you believe in God's word? Or do you believe what you read? For years I just read what I believed. Oh, my church says this. I can find a scripture to support it. I'm okay. And God says, no, you need to start believing everything I say in my word. And you don't pick and choose. 
You don't pick and choose. Prayer without a life change is only a prayer. Pastor told me about a gentleman that um, during the days of the Jesus movement, he used to want to go to his house to a coffee shop. And to get there, he had to encounter so many of these new, new converts, the Jesus people. And he said, I had to say that prayer 40 times before I could get to the coffee shop every day. <laughs> now, that guy was just as lost when he started from home. And we got there because he was just saying the prayer to get these Jesus people off his back. And I think there's a lot of us in the church, and I just feel a real burden for that because I know where I was and the, and the ministry I held and all that I did, and I was lost. I'll continue my story. But that I had to park there for a minute because that was really important, I think, in this. My first year of college, I got word that my mom had died, that her death was ruled a suicide. Ten years later, I was to lose a sister to suicide. In between this... The staff member at the church that had molested me as a young teen had moved on and become a pastor. Which, Lord knows why some of these people are in the ministry, I don't know, but that's between them and God. But they do a lot of damage when when they don't step down from something like that. And through a series of events, he was to find out where I was, and I was raped by this man. I never told anybody, because that was a difficult thing to talk about. I was also threatened. So you just kind of keep this to yourself and go, well, the hole inside just gets bigger and bigger with everything else that's happened. feel like my life is completely unraveling. And by now, the hole inside of me was about as big as the state of Texas is what it felt like. You know, you're just like, you know, but on the outside, you wear these masks, right? You know, you're going to appear like everything's okay. On inside, no one has a clue the pain you're dealing with. Nobody has a clue. Shortly after that, I was I married, and I told my husband what had happened to me, and he was very supportive at the time, which was a relief. It was like I finally could tell somebody, and they believed me, and they were supportive, and thank you. And not long after, I had my daughter. About a year later, I got a phone call that this particular man, pastor, and I use that term very loosely, had been arrested for molesting four minors in his church. I remember hanging up the phone and looking at my husband and says, you know what, I feel responsible for that. So there's more guilt on top of me, false guilt. I said, if I had come forward to the authorities when this happened, maybe I could have stopped him and he wouldn't hurt any more kids. So with his encouragement and support, I went to the district attorney and, and shared my story, which was like reliving it again. They rearrested him on a felony. We began the process of setting up for a trial. Things hit the papers. It was not pleasant. Right before the trial, they decided they didn't want to go through a trial because these young girls shouldn't have to be put through a trial, so they dropped my charges in sentencing him. And in doing that, I just felt re-victimized again. It's like, why did I come forward with this for them to just throw it out? They gave him seven years, which he got out less, I heard later. Um, went home. The next day, I got a phone call from a friend. She wanted to call and just encourage me and say, I really appreciate that you had this courage to come forward and do this, and I just want to tell you I'm just supportive of you. I hung up the phone, turned around to tell my husband about this call, and for whatever reason, and I don't understand what a man has to go through if he has to deal with knowing this has happened to his wife, but he exploded and said, I no longer believe that what happened to you happened to you like you told me. I can't live with this. He packed his bag and he walked out of my life and our 18-month-old daughter's life. And I remember going, 
Why did I even come forward with this? It cost me my marriage. They didn't even use it at the sentencing. So I was alone, a single parent. Family pulled back. The church that this man had been pastor of turned very harshly against myself and the other families. They put four or five tombstones in the yard of the pastor's house with our names on it because they wanted us dead. Um, The church I was in when I moved to another area didn't want me to be in any ministry anymore, no more playing the piano, no more teaching because now I was divorced. That wasn't my choice. My family pulled back. They were very judgmental and critical. They are all professing Christians too. And they pulled away and for years, for years, just pretty much had nothing to do with me. There was no support system when my whole life just fell apart. So I began, about eight months after my ex-husband remarried, I remarried. This was lasted about a year and I came home one day and the man had taken all of his things and left. And I was like, not again. Well, this was a time when I began this intense search for love. And I had started young as a young girl hoping for my father's love and that didn't work. (laughs) And through my family and that wasn't working. So I was determined to find someone to love me. And so I began a cycle of trying to find love through repeated failed marriages. I have a jar here, which to me is representation of the hole that was inside my heart, my life. And I tried to stuff so many things in there. So these little people, like the marriages. Okay. And then I tried stuffing the hole in my heart with busyness, ministry. Because it's busy. And I was like the classic Martha, Martha in the Bible of then times ten. Okay. Because the busier I could stay, the less I felt the pain inside. Busyness became an anesthesia for the pain that was just ripping me apart inside. So I thought, how many ministries can I do? Because then maybe if I do enough, God might love me. I was still in the, I'm going to earn God's love if that's the last thing I do. I never felt, you know, hobbies. I'd go into what I did with rubber stamping for a while, but I picked up hobbies. That became a, a terrible addiction, you know. It's just something to numb the pain. And yet none of this satisfied. Just left me come up dry and empty. I never saw God as anything more than a word. He was some distant, far away. He's going to just crush me, you know, because I was always messing up. He didn't love me. He just was going to punish me or do something. And I was just in fear of him and hoping I could do enough good and earn his love. And then I'd be okay. One of my marriages, I married a pastor. Well, unfortunately... My history of my life up till then was never really good with pastors. This became another one. <laughs> I was a pastor's wife for eight years, and every day, every Sunday, every time we'd go to church, I'd get up, put on my whatever I'd wear as a pastor's wife, which kind of was like this, and then I'd pick up a mask and put it on, go to church, and do my role, but no one knew the pain that was inside. And then... God was to do something that was to totally get my attention. But before I share that with you, I want you to look in John chapter 4. And we all probably know this story. But I love this chapter because I relate to this woman. This woman at the well. This woman who had been married multiple times and was so cast off by her town that she had to go get water at noon 
when no one else was there at the hottest part of the day because people didn't want to be around her and she was always talked about. Verse 3, it says, Jesus left Judea and departed to Galilee. Look at verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria. He didn't just accidentally wander through Samaria. Oh, I think I'll stop here by the well and get a drink. He had to go through that town. He had an appointment with a woman at noon. He knew there was a thirsty woman in that town that was trying to fill up her life with a whole bunch of stuff that didn't satisfy. For her, it was relationships and marriages. And Jesus came and told her about this living water he had, which as you read on in the rest of the chapter. And she's like, man, that would be great to have this kind of water because then I wouldn't have to come to this well every day. Well, he was talking about something much deeper. And she was to learn that not only is Jesus the bread of life, but he's a living water. And you put those together and you've got everything you need to satisfy you. And I love this. He, he goes, verse 29. She's so excited after she has this encounter with Jesus, she leaves her water pot and she runs into town. And the first words out of her mouth, look at verse 29. Come, see a man. Now, stop there a minute. How many times had that woman said that to her town? Hey, come, you got to meet this new man. And they're thinking, oh, not again. Another one. She's, no, no, this is different. This man knew everything about me. And he gave me something that I needed. And you know, Jesus did that for me. 1999, one Sunday, I got dressed up to go to church, just like I did every Sunday as a pastor's wife, put on another mask, and went there. And inside I was dying. At this point in my life, that Sunday in 1999, my marriage was in trouble. My daughter was away at school and she was not speaking to me. Everything dear to me had been stripped from me. And God knew he had my attention. I went to church that night, actually, to set up for a kids' class I taught. My best friend, Ann, came to help me, as she always did. And she said, before we set up, I need to give you something. And I'm like, what? She says, well, I bought something for myself the other day at a Bible bookstore. And God told me that I'm supposed to give it to you. And I said, okay, God, I'll give it to her on Monday when we go and count the offering. And he said, no, you have to give it to her on Sunday. She goes, and I really hope I heard from God on this. Well, let me tell you what this Sunday was. It was Valentine's Day, 1999. I don't think it was an accident. It was this day that God said, you have to give her this. Next slide. And this is the picture that she gave me. I had seen this picture in a Bible bookstore, and I had always loved it. I just thought, ooh, it's so warm, and it represents a lot of love, and it's nice. And I said, well, thank you, Ann. That's really sweet. And I put the picture down and started to turn around to do my work. She goes, no, wait. I'm, I have something else, and I'm supposed to tell you something when I give you this picture, and I really hope I heard from God on this. I'm like, well, what? And she said, real hesitantly, she said, well, Jesus told me to tell you that that's you he's hugging in that picture. And that he loves you very much. And I remember standing there and tears filled my eyes. And I thought, Jesus loves me. And this always, (laughs) I can talk about my past and not tear up, but this gets me. (laughs) Jesus loves me. How could someone I've never met and that I've never seen love me? My family I see. 
They don't. My dad. My husband's. And I thanked her. I took the picture. But that was a day that I had my head on collision with the love of Jesus Christ. And I learned that God had been trying to speak to me for a very long time. He had been trying to talk to me, but I couldn't hear him. He had been trying to speak over the noisiness of my life and all the busyness, but I couldn't hear him. And he was trying to tell me, Elise, I'm here. I have been calling you. I love you. I have always loved you. And I have been trying to get you to hear me say that. But you have been so busy trying to prove you are loved and trying to earn my love that you didn't hear me. Well, that day, I heard him. Next slide. And this is the man that I met. And this is the man I like to introduce to people. I heard him that day, and my soul was awakened by the joy of a prodigal son come home. By a loving father, a daddy who loved me and wanted me. This was to start an interesting period of my life. I began to spend an incredible amount of time in God's word for the first time in my life. To find out more about this Jesus who loved me. I had been through Bible college. I had been in church my whole life. And all God was was a head knowledge. And I had to find out about this Jesus that loved me enough to come. He had to be at that church that day on Valentine's Day. To give this little broken lamb a valentine. And I had to find out more about someone that would love me like that. And when I did, I discovered that this was the coolest love letter. And if you've ever gotten a love letter, you know how you love to read them over and over. <laughs> till they're like dog-eared and worn. Okay? And when you, and, but if you don't know the person who wrote it, it's just a bunch of words. Just a bunch of words. That's all it was for me. I didn't want to read it. It was just a bunch of words. But when I got to know the person who wrote it and found out he loved me, I couldn't read enough. And in reading here, I began, I entered into relationship with Jesus for the first time in my life. And my life was radically changed to the point my family even noticed and said something. God began to reveal to me the truth of who I was, areas that needed change, sin that needed to be removed. He helped me understand why I made the choices I did. And then he began this process, which has been over the last 10 years, and I've been in Big Bear for all those years, of healing me of the pain of my past, the shame, the guilt, and everything, and bringing me through the other side. You know, God's word is like a mirror, James talks about. And if you get into it, it will show you what you need for healing. Everything, every addiction, everything you have, you can find relief and freedom in here. But not if it sits like this on your table or if all you do is carry it with you to church. You have to get into it. And God promises you he'll meet you there. And he can change whatever it is you've been through and take away the sting, the pain of it, the hurt, whatever it is, however it's affected you. I also learned on this journey that I had to take responsibility for the choices that I'd made. I had two kind of two sets of things that happened in my life. I had a series of things that happened that I had absolutely no control over. 
Okay? Then there were things where I had made conscious choices. And I can't go, well, if so-and-so had done this or done this, I wouldn't have made those choices. It doesn't matter who may have escorted me up to that point. I still had a choice. And I took responsibility for that. I went to people and I apologized. I went to my family five years ago, called a family meeting, and they all thought I was dying. This was so funny. I said, I need to have a family meeting. I'm coming down from Big Bear, get all the adults together, and I'm going to talk to the family. So they called my daughter and said, is your mom dying? <laughs> no, she's not dying. So I met with my family. And that was very hard to do because even up to that point five years ago, I still didn't have a relationship with my dad. I had siblings that wouldn't speak to me, had told their children not to speak to me because they didn't like how my life had been. And these were Christians. Well, these were professing Christians. And I had to stand in front of these group of people that didn't even like to hang around me and tell them, I am sorry for the choices I've made in my life and how they've impacted you. Would you forgive me? With never a mention of anything that they've done. And that was the thing that for me was the last thing that broke me and completely freed me from my past was doing that. Today I stand here completely free from my past. I can talk about it, share it, doesn't, doesn't affect me. That's not what makes me tear up, as you saw. I am no longer bound by it. I have no more guilt or shame about it. And even the abuse I suffered is no longer a liability. God has moved it from the debit column to the credit column in my life. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn me, and I don't let anybody near me condemn me either, because my past is under the blood, completely under the blood. And I am a new person. I'm not a caterpillar with wannabe wings. <laughs> I am a brand new person. Then there were the issues of the painful events that happened in my life, you know, and they come back and they want to ding you in your head. God took me through a process that was just wonderfully healing for me. And maybe some of you have experienced things and you're like, how can I get these things to not hurt so bad? And what he did for me was kind of like in my time I spent with him, we would walk down this hallway and on the hallway, on the walls were all these pictures of events that had happened to me, the very painful things. And Jesus walked with me down that hall. And we stopped in front of every picture. And he told me, with his arm around me, he goes, I was there. And I cried with you. He would let me cry. And then we would take the picture down. We walked down the hall and did that. And then he started replacing the pictures with some other ones I like a lot better and this is one this I've had kids that come on Thursday say Miss Elise this looks like you kind of you know and this is about the age I was when some really bad things started happening to me so I have one at home where I wrote my name at the bottom and I put Jesus here and Elise right here this is another one which says I will not fail you spent a lot of time in these arms for healing. You know, only God can do that. <laughs> Take the messed up pictures of your life and replace them with ones that bring good memories. I believe that those who learn the depths of the Father's affection and learn to live in it have greater passion for Jesus 
and a freedom for sin, from sin than anyone driven by religious obligation. Have you learned to live in the Father's love? Or have you heard about it but don't feel it's real? Next slide. Only God can take the pieces of a broken heart and put them back together again. You know, when I finally encountered Jesus, I came face to face with someone who knew everything about me and still loved me. He didn't look at me and go, you disgust me. I can't believe you did that. He knew all about it. And it did not change how he thought about me. I didn't have to wear masks with him either. That was the coolest thing. I could just be who I was, and he loved me. I also quit trying to impress him by everything I did. In um, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, you'll find the little story there of Mary and Martha when Jesus came for dinner. Martha's running around like a chicken with her head cut off. I've got to do this, got to do this. Mary's in there sitting down with Jesus. Martha comes in and goes, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. <laughs> and Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you're just so busy and worried about a bunch of things. But Mary, she's chosen the better thing. And I had learned through this process and this time with the Lord that I did not have to do anything for him. He said, Elise, I made you as a human being, not a human doing. (laughs) Quit trying to impress me with all that you do. You don't ever have to do any more ministry for me the rest of your life. I love you because I am love and I choose to love you not because of anything you do. So I moved out of the broom closet into the prayer closet. And I quit doing And I started being in relationship with this incredible God who had tender feelings for me. And it changed my life. I am motivated for love. You don't need to give me a list of rules. I read this every day, and when he tells me to do something, I just do it. One and a half years after this Valentine's Day, I moved to Big Bear with my husband, who was a pastor. And five months later, my life collapsed. He asked for a divorce. And among other things that I was to learn, one was that he'd had an affair the four of the eight years we had been married while he was in ministry. Well, you can imagine the respect I had for pastors at this point. (laughs) He told me the only reason I married you is for what you could do for me in ministry. And since we were done, he was done with me. But you know the difference this time? I may have been abandoned, rejected, and betrayed once more, but this time was different. I had somebody. I had... That man that I just showed you the picture of, I had Jesus, and he loved me, and he helped get me through that time. It wasn't easy. I didn't always do the right things, but you know what? He knew my heart, and it helped me get through that. About five months ago, I spoke at a ladies' group, and the lady who was in charge says, Elise, I don't really know you that well, so how should I introduce you? What should I say about you? And I said, I'll just tell the ladies that I'm one that Jesus loves. So she did. She got up and said, well, I don't know what else to say about Elise, but she said that she's one that Jesus loves. <laughs> and that's my thing I like to say. It's not what I've done or my past or anything. It's, you know, I'm just one that Jesus loves. And so are each one of you in here. I'm not unique to that. I don't lay claim to that by myself. I need a... Th- um, next slide. Now you can see... Right, there's a crack pot. Now you can see where I got all my cracks. And you may say, what an absolute mess. And you know what? That's okay. I'm his mess. And he has taught me and shown me how to take my mess and make a message out of it. 
And every one of us are cracked. Some are more cracked than others. <laughs> but you know what? No matter what you've been through, Jesus can take it, all those pieces, and put them back together and use you. Nothing is beyond his redemption. I have since learned to embrace my past with all of its mistakes, pains, and failure. And my past no longer has any power over me. Because I am not my past. I am who Jesus says I am. And I had to have all of that reprogrammed in my mind. Because I used to believe the wrong thing. I also know that without my past, I would not be where I am today in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And for that, I used to say this, well... God has used all the stuff from my past, and that's good. And I used to think, but I wish it wouldn't happen to me. Now I can honestly tell you I would not wish that anything had not happened. I don't unwish anything. Every single thing God was a tool in God's hand to bring me to where I am now. I told this to my father about five years ago. He looked at me and goes, I cannot believe how you deal with your past. It doesn't make any sense to me. He goes, have you ever thought of writing a book? Maybe you could help a lot of people with your story. So I did, and I'm almost through with it. But I, I think of what Paul said in Philippians 3, and I'm just going to summarize in my kind of a summary here. Paul said that if going through trials and suffering meant knowing Christ, this is Philippians 3, 7 through 10, if going through trials and suffering meant knowing Christ, then it was all worth it. And I totally agree. I totally agree. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then another verse that we use a lot, Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. You know that? To them who love God, to them who are the called according to purpose. We just say it every time something happens. But you know what? Everything in life is not good. And everything that happens to us doesn't work out for our good, personally, the way we want it. But if you look at verse 29, it shows us that God's ultimate plan for us is conformity to the image of his son. So it wasn't that I had everything go wonderful in my life or even had a father that loved me or whatever. It was, I want Elise to be conformed to the image of my son. And he used these things in my life. He didn't cause them. He used them to bring me to be conformed to the image of his son. So we don't need to look forward to pain and suffering. I'm not saying you need to go, yes, I'm going through suffering. Yes, I've got another trial. Okay. But we need to look forward to how these things are going to be used by God to conform us to the image of our son. You know, I still have things in my life present day that are difficult. But I'm not like, oh, God, why is this happening to me? It's like cool sandpaper people in my life. All right. They're rubbing off more rough edges on me. I must not quite look like Jesus yet. So I've got this event or this trial or this thing, but it's okay. It's okay. Jesus is going to make me look more like him when I'm through, if I don't fight it. You know, Jacob in Genesis 32, he had an encounter with God when he wrestled with God all night. And you know when he left there, he had a new name, and he never walked the same again. He limped. <laughs> if you encounter God, he'll change you, give you a new name, and you'll never walk the same again. Never focus on your situation. Focus on God in the situation. And you will see yourself gradually transformed into the image of Christ. I want to share something with you out of my book. It's called Black and White. 
I had it all in black and white on paper. The divorce decrees. Each time written out were the words that declared I was not wanted anymore. I was not loved anymore. I was not worth staying with anymore. I had other things in black and white. Proof on paper. A letter from my father stated, stating he wasn't interested in a relationship with me. Relationships, he wrote, were to be with those you had built a foundation with. And since he had tried a few times when I was a small child and it didn't work, we just didn't have anything. I read all the words in black and white. All the words that said, you aren't wanted. You aren't worth trying to have relationship with. You aren't worth loving. You aren't someone I want to spend time with. And for a long time, I believed what I read. Then I began to read some other words in black and white. And oh, what a difference they have made. These. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I delight in you. I rejoice over you with singing. You are my beloved. I love to spend time with you. I pursue you for relationship every single day. And I will never give up. You're beautiful to me. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. You are so talented and unique of all my creation. I sent my son to give his life for you. So you could come and live with me one day. I even know and speak your love language every day. You are my precious child. Nothing you do will ever change my love for you. I even wrote your name on my hand. I can't wait to see your face every morning, to hear your sweet voice. I wanted you so much I adopted you and chose you, especially for myself. I am your daddy, your father, who dearly loves you. Well, I choose to believe the black and white of my Heavenly Father. It is nothing but the truth, and it heals all the pain from the words I used to read. Read it for yourself. It's all there in black and white. You know, God taught me a lot on this journey. He's taught me how to love myself. I've not only forgiven everybody that's had anything in my past to do that caused pain, but the hardest person of all those people to forgive was me. But God taught me how to do that. He taught me what my value was according to him, not what people have said. He taught me I didn't have to settle for leftovers and whatever just came by. He forgave all of my sins and failures, and he even made beautiful things out of the mess of my life. Beautiful things. You know, I can say today, I know what it's like to be completely and unconditionally loved. For the first time, by Jesus. He's the absolute joy of my life, and I don't just love him, I love loving him. I can truly say that I love him more than anyone or anything in this world. He is definitely the uncontested love of my life. And he knew that in my search to find healing from my past, that I would come to know him as my healer. Makes it worth it. Oh, my baptism. You're like, why don't you get baptized? Maybe now you understand. Get baptized on the wrong side of coming to the Lord. You got to do it in right order. God talked to me several years ago, and I thought, well, that's what, you know, I know, but I got baptized. And then in the last few years, and God showed me through scriptures that you didn't know me until 11 years ago. 
So I came to pastor and says, I need to get baptized. He was all excited. And, you know, it's, this is great. We'll do this. And I explained to him why, you know, and it didn't matter what people were going to say or think because all I care is what he says and thinks. If he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it <laughs> because he is the one that I live for his, I live for his approval. And I understood now what baptism meant and I had to do it. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, God says that he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And I had a lot of locusts in my life, chewing up parts of it. But I can stand here today and say that, you know, God has restored so much in my life. And one of the things that I want to take a moment and share, because this is really important. As you heard my story, you saw a lot of betrayal and bad things that happened from pastors in my life. And I used to keep going to church but had no respect for whoever stood in the pulpit. Left church before it was over because I didn't want to ever encounter the person until I came to this church. And that man back there is the only man that I call pastor, that I can call pastor and have respect for. That is a man who lives what he preaches And God used him to restore that broken part in me. And he knows how I feel. But God is masterful, and I can't see. (laughs) God is a master at taking these things and being able to make new things out of them and bring whole and wholeness and healing where it's needed and allow me to trust again someone in a position not that I look to him you know, keep your eyes on God not men because they, they got feet of clay our pastors are not perfect but they're who God has put in front of us and I thank God for letting me be in this church when my life fell apart when I came to Big Bear because if I had not been in this church under this man I don't think I would be in church today You know, in the olden days, people used to, on purpose, pick up and choose broken pots. Why? Because they made the best lanterns. And you know, those of you that know Jesus and he lives in you, his light should be shining through you, through those cracks. Yeah, I'm cracked. I'm cracked, put together by Jesus. But you know what? Through those cracks, his light should be shining. And it should be shining in each one of you that know him. When Jesus came to me that day, and I forgot to show you this, but he had poured his living water into me and filled up all the cracks and crevices that I had that nothing else had been able to fill. I'm not thirsty or hungry for anything the world has or for anything out there that used to pull at me because I'm completely satisfied. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7. I'll wait till you look for it and then I want to read it. Chapter 4, verse 5 through 7. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts 
to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What you see in your pastor that you go, wow, it's not him, it's God. Whatever you see up here, it's not Elise. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a crackpot God's using. (laughs) That's it. I want to share with you a kind of a vision I had in my mind, and I'm going to take you through what I see in my mind, what I saw in my mind as I close here this morning. I was in this room, and there was this wall, and it was kind of a swirl with swirling brush strokes, kind of looked like it was a work of art all by itself. And in front of the wall, there was a row of lighted glass pedestals in front of this wall. And on each one, there was pottery sitting on top of it. Each one had a light coming down from the top, the bottom, and the side, so you could see the pot really clearly. Kind of reminded me of being in a museum. As I approached for a closer examination, I noticed two things very clearly. One, each pot was beautiful and unique in its own right. And each one was cracked. Some had like maybe one big crack or several cracks. Some had like spiderweb cracks. But each one had been obviously painstakingly repaired and then put back up in a place of honor. So I started looking at these pots. And the first pot there... It was kind of a plain earthen vessel, kind of plain like this, but it had a crack all the way from the top to the bottom. As I looked closely, I saw that it had been repaired perfectly, but you could still see the crack. Then I went on to the second pot, and it was this large, ornate vessel that kind of had, like, purples and blues, and it had pictures on it depicting, like, war victories, and it had several cracks in it, but each one of those had been repaired. And I went on to the third vessel, and it was a tall, thin vessel with leaves of green and gold decorations, and although it had been repaired, it had a large crack that kind of spiraled from top, from, you know, bottom to top, <clears throat> but it had been perfectly repaired, but you could still see the crack. I thought, wow, this one kind of looks like the vessel of a scholar. I went on to the fourth pot, and it was kind of a short, stubby, fat pot. And it had etchings in it of like the sea or fish and things like that. And I didn't see a crack on the outside, but when I looked inside, I could see it had a crack there. And it obvious, obviously had been repaired, but had to have been shored up from inside for that. I looked at the last pot, and it kind of looked like a normal-looking vessel to me. But as I got closer, I realized that this pot had been shattered and broken and repaired more than once. In fact, some of the pieces that were even glued together were broken with inside of them. Uh, this pot's in bad shape. But it had been masterfully reconstructed and sealed. As I'm looking at these pots, I heard a voice behind me. Would you like to know the significance of these pots? I didn't turn around. I just thought, he knows all about them. I'll just listen. And I said, yes, I would. And he said, let's go back to the first one. And if you look, there's a like a name card or a placard there. I want you to pick it up. So I went to the first pot and picked it up, and it said, Adam. I said, Adam? He said, yes. He said, Adam had a serious crack in him. 
and it cost me a lot to be able to repair it, but it was worth the cost I had to pay. Then we moved on to the second one. He said, take a look at that one. And I picked up, and this one said, David, King David. He said, yeah, David had some flaws, but what a beautiful vessel, don't you agree? And I had to agree, yes. And he said, that was a vessel that captured my heart. We went on to the next vessel, the tall, skinny one with the spiral crack. And I looked at that one, and it said, Paul. He said, you know, Paul was a vessel of educated substance and refined, but he had a spiral crack that caused some weakness, but my grace was sufficient for him. We went to the next little short stubby one with the little etchings of the fish, and I picked up a card and it said, Peter. And the voice said, you know, this vessel was large, strong, and capable of much, but he had a serious inside internal crack. And I had to shore him up carefully and prop him up and keep him that way for a while. But once he was put back together again, he became one of my greatest works. Now I want you to look at this last vessel. And I picked up the name card and I found my name. Tears filled my eyes as I remembered the shatterings that had happened to me as a young person. Almost destroyed my childhood. Parents divorced. Beating by my mother. Then molestation and rape and rejection and abandonment and divorces and failed marriages. And I turned around to face this man talking to me and I realized it was the Heavenly Father. And as he embraced me, I looked up and said, Thank you for putting back the pieces of my broken life. Unspoken love passed between us. And then he looked at me and said, I sent my son Jesus to pay the price for all the cracked pots and asked him to bring the pieces to me. It wasn't until I repaired the cracks that the vessels had their greatest use. And I know today here, there are probably people in three different groups. Maybe you've been through similar things like I have. You feel like a crackpot. Maybe you feel like you're a crackpot, but the pieces are all over the floor. And they haven't been put together yet. And maybe you say, wow, my life's a mess and I've never met this Jesus, this man you've talked about. I'd sure like to know somebody that could put this mess together. Well, I know someone that can, and he does a perfect job at it. And there also may be some of you here that you know the Lord, and you know for sure that you have come to know him, but you've never felt God's love. And you're still performance-based, or you're working hard to earn his love in some way. Well, God wants to encounter you this morning. He wants to have an encounter with you, just like he did with me 11 years ago, and let you know he loves you. And you don't have to perform anymore. You can just stop and you can be in relationship with him and be on the right of your life. Because there is nothing like being loved by somebody. Nothing. Especially when it's Jesus. And then there's some of you that may, you've been here and you say, well, I've never even met God. We've got some of you that 
have been broken and you know the Lord and you want repaired. Some of you that know the Lord and you've never felt his love. And some of you say, I've never met him, but I would like to. And there's going to be an altar up here for all three groups to come up here. But I want you to know, don't leave this place without knowing that God loves you. And don't leave this place without giving your life to him if you haven't. Because that is the only thing that can change your life. I wrote a song four years ago. I'm not singing it. I'm just going to read it. (laughs) Couldn't sing right now. It's called The Master Potter. My name was forsaken. I was lost and alone. I was broken without hope, scarred from all of my pain. Then I met the Master Potter and I gave to him all the pieces of my life broken because of my sin. He put them together, removed my guilt and shame. He gave me a new life. Then he gave me a new name, and now he calls me beloved, his own special child, redeemed and restored. Now my life is worthwhile. My life is brand new. It's been changed by one, the master potter, my Lord. My failures were many. I was weak and undone. I'd been broken by others. This I now brought to him. He healed me completely to the innermost part. Remove the shame and fear. Healed my broken heart. And now he calls me beloved. And he has that same feeling for you. We're going to end with a song. which will be our invitation song. And there's going to be some slides going up there. We're going to dim the lights. And I want to give you an opportunity to come if you want prayer. If you just want to kneel up here. Just stand up here. Because God is here to meet you. He is here to have an encounter for you with you so we're going to go ahead and listen to this song which is a reminder of how much Jesus loves you Why don't we just stand where we are? Father, I just pray, Lord, that you will just touch the hearts of these people here today, Lord. There's many here in one of those three different categories that we spoke about. And, Lord, you want your people to know you love them. The church, I don't think, knows how much you love them. Father, I just pray that those that are here that need a touch from you will come and just let their hearts and lives be changed and filled with your love, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. No music. Oh, I can play it. Can they turn on this? There's no music back there.
For some reason, the music isn't playing back there, but you can still come up. I'll just play.
Thank you. 